The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. Uh, my kids came up this week, uh, Jet and Cash, and uh, who are great, and you know they do a ton of stuff for us in the in the sort of church world. I mean, it's like the family business, but. Uh, so we don't make them do everything, but this time, like, you guys got to come up. Like, no, you know, and like, I, I, I get it. Like, we don't want to serve homeless people. I'm like, that's exactly why you have to go, because we're going to change that attitude. Um, but they came up, and I, you know, I get it. They're wrapping up the day and finished school, and, and they have to come up here. And I was like, you know, it's going to be, there's usually lots of help, and you probably won't have to do anything. Just kind of stand and watch, and it'll be good for you to see it. And mom can pick you up early if, if you need to. So I come up with them, and they're like, can we wait, wait in the car? I'm like, no, that, the car does not count. We're going in. And just, just hang out and watch. And I, and I get it. Sometimes those environments are intimidating, even for adults. I mean, m- many of you are like, yeah, that would be me. I don't want to do that. But we come up, and I'm like, just, it's going to be super chill. And I'm getting, like, texts from Troy, like, get in here. We need help. I'm like, oh, shoot. And I'm, like, telling the kids, like, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Just stand off to the side and watch. And as soon as we walk in the door, Troy's like, boys, get in here. Get on an apron. And he calls me into the kitchen, and he gets some, gets some serving. And they were back here serving food for, you know, a good hour, hour and a half. And it was a really cool moment, and, and, I, and I appreciate this about community. And we've known Troy and early Ollie Gibsons for a long time. Amy goes back with them. But I appreciate that voice in my kid's life. My kids need that voice. Now, I have a voice, and if you're a parent, you know you have a voice. But man, it's so important to have other voices in your kids' lives. That's sort of the village approach, and that's one of the reasons we rotate Sunday school. I love that our kids get to know other adults, and, and that kind of sort of iron sharpens iron from, you know, the, the guy friends in my life to encourage, encourage my kids. And so when we pull community in, it's, it's, there's the adult thing happening, but, man, our kids are going to benefit from getting to know other other good godly men and women who are going to ch- you know challenge them and yell at them to get in the kitchen and start helping and that's those are those are encouraging things about the depth of our community and so that those are moments for me that like, illustrates why it's important to do life with people it's important to let other people in and and and, and, and find encouraging relationships for yourself and your family uh and and and, and being around the, the best friends that you kind of can and we just want to offer that as much as we can and, and encourage that because relationship in in we talk about God, it, it, has to, it just goes through people. No one is an island with God. And I don't think you can get close to God or remain distant from people. So when we talk about a relationship with God, it, it has to involve people. You cannot, you cannot grow close to God or remain distant from people. And some people, I'm spiritual and I love God, but I just don't do people, I don't do church. Like, I don't think that can work. I, I just don't see it in the text. I don't see it in my life. I don't see it in the people around me. We need one another to spur spur these things on. And people love that. People have a heart for, for community and love. Anyone catch the royal wedding yesterday at all? Anybody? Um, so my wife, and, and, I, I, and I love this, but yesterday was not my favorite when I woke up to it. We had a party at like, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning for, for the royal wedding. And uh, it was great. We had people over. And I'm, what I'm grateful for, because she had talked about this, is throwing the party actually live at like 2 a.m. when it was happening. I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be good for me. I worked yesterday at the brewery. And, but we have you know, people over and watching the wedding. And I was in and out a little bit. But there's something about th- that that pulls people in. And this really is almost kind of any wedding. We're, we're attracted to love. We're, we're attracted to that pure, true love, that kind of fairy tale love. It, it, it moves us. It, it pulls us in. People want to believe in love. The world wants to believe in love. We want to look at somebody in a, in a picture or, 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 you know, a prince and a princess, gaze into one another's eyes like there's no one else in the world, and we're moved by that. Man, look, 
Look how he looks at her. Look how she looks at him. There's something in our soul that kind of leaps because there's something that's right about that. And up here, we would suggest that's, that's the imprint of our creator. Our, our, our Bible tells us that God himself is love. He's the essence of love. And we see that. It, it reminds us maybe of something even deep inside, and, we, and, and some of the brokenness of the world kind of fades, fades away, and we believe in that hope once again. And we're looking at this story in Genesis this morning, in the beginning. We talked about it a few weeks ago. But it's, but it's this idea of love, and there is this, this beautiful love that gets, that gets broken. And, and the text goes like this in Genesis, uh, end, of, end of Genesis 2, and this is a little bit review, but God had, had, had placed Adam in the garden, and everything is perfect, and it's paradise, and he still says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And part of that is God wanted to create us in the image of himself, and, and God is a relationship. We believe in this trinity, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship. And, and he said, man, God, man is, is missing out because he doesn't have that relationship. He, he just has me, but he needs somebody else. And, and, he, and he looks for a, kind of a, the, the Bible story says he looks for, you know, helper for Adam, and it just wasn't working out. And he said, man, we need something else here. And he creates woman. And when and woman was, was, was born and comes before Adam, the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a father, uh, where a man leaves his father and mother and becomes one with his his wife, and there's this there's kind of marriage situation happening here in the garden in, in, in the very beginning. And when Adam sees her, and we're going to we'll, we'll get into this today, he sees her in, in this language. These early chapters of Genesis are interesting. They're kind of between historical and, and prose, and it's this interesting kind of language, a somewhat story. But he sees her, and it's kind of this song. So the writer, writer re- recalls this it would be a song. He's, he's just so excited about her, and bone of my bones and there's just this this is it and one of the the translations of the bible actually just just calls that genesis 2 23 the man said this is it he exclaims this is it this is what i've been looking for this is the, this is the person this is the moment this is just right for me and if you've married or been married you, you've had that moment you've experienced that that this is it moment but then sometimes that doesn't last so the so genesis chapter 3 goes like this God had, God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, have fun, do what you want, but don't eat from this tree. So there's this, there's this um, kind of re- request from God, said, just, just don't do that. And Eve's wandering around the garden. Many of us have heard this story, at least familiar with it to some degree, and the story goes like this. Now, a serpent who is more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of a garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And so what happens in this moment from, and we, we could all relate to this, every day or sometimes big episodes in our life, we go from a moment where you're, you're content, you're completely content, you have everything you need, even if it's not much, you say, I have everything I need. And then something catches your eye, like, ah, oh, man, but I kind of want that. I kind of want that now. This used to be fine, but like, you know what? That, that is starting to look pretty good. And I think back of my relationship 
with my wife and some of the places we live, and some of the best times of our life are when we had the least stuff. When we were first married, we lived in this attic of a Victorian house in New Jersey, like above a skate shop, and you know there was no heat, and it was crooked ceilings, and it, but man, we loved it. It was falling apart. You had to go up these rickety stairs, and we, I don't know how, 200 bucks a month or something. It was, it was awesome. We loved that. And at some point, you, know, you have that, and those, man, that was fine then, but like, yeah, I don't have enough now. I need a bigger, better, more. And we get sucked into that stuff so easily. You have everything. You have it. Then you kind of want something else. And in this relationship, you know, Adam and Eve, it begins to decline because their hearts start to drift from what they knew was true into something else. And for you and I, if, you've, if you were married or, again, been married, right, there's that moment where, like, man, this is the one in the billion person. Like, I love them. I will give everything to them. I will walk down the altar. I will pledge my life. The person is worth everything to you. And then at some point, something else kind of can creep in, like, I'm not sure. The moment goes, man, this is it. I love this. To, like, this is it. This sucks. And that this is it switches in our minds. We, we, we mentioned that a little a few weeks ago. It goes from this is it to ah, this is it. This is my life. And Adam and Eve are moving from that place like this is it. This is amazing. We have one another. We have God. We have the, we have the garden. Like, yeah, that's it. We don't get to have that. Because I kind of want that now. And they're tempted into this, this thing because what they're saying is I don't have enough. Man, and, and when we start to talk about I don't have enough, that, that, that begins to be detrimental and hurtful to relationships with our spouses and our friends, our relationship with God. Man, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. It used to be great, but now it's not enough. And that could be a person. That could be your spouse. Man, they used to be great, but ah, not so much anymore. That's your car. Man, how many of us, like, get a new car? You're super excited about it. At some point, it kind of the shine wears off. And sometimes that's just like, that's TVs. Our TV was kind of me- breaking like, you know, this past couple, a uh, week ago. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to get a new TV. I'm like, yeah, I got to get a new TV. You know, that's almost every time I go into Target, that, that, that back wall, wall-to-wall TVs. It's like, man, my TV's lame. Those TVs are awesome. Then you buy a new TV, and like the next year it's lame, and then you want a new TV. And we live in that sort of culture. Everything's disposable. We're moving forward. Our brains are sort of trained. It's, it, it's got a, you know, fashion has gotten faster. Tech is getting faster. And I wonder what that's doing to our relationships. I don't know how kids even, even are going to, you know, pull this together. But even those of us who are a little older have been in relationship for a while, we can see, oh, man, I used to have it. I don't know. I don't know if I have it anymore. There used to be something there, but it doesn't seem like it. It used to be, this is it, thank you, God, to like, this is it. And we give into that, 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 that temptation of a, of, a, of a car or TV or, or something, you know, lustful or addictions. It, it begins to hurt us. And sometimes, especially, you know, you've heard this when, when you're younger, there's this sort of idea, and it carries into even our, our adulthood. Like, right, the kind of idea, I just got to sow my wild oats, I got to get it out of my system. And that could be any number of things with people or money or gossip or any of that kind of junk in your life that feels good. I was going to give in to it. I just got to get it out of my system. When you do stuff like that, you don't get anything out of your system. You put into your system. When you think, I just got to rinse this through. I just got to get this stuff out and then I'll be good. You're not going to be good. You're sowing into that very thing. And that, I, whatever that is for you, 
food, drink, internet, relationship, gossip, greed, you know, whatever, dishonesty. Like, I just got to get past this one thing, and then I'll be good. Man, you're not good. You're putting, you're putting it in. And so Adam and Eve, they, they give in to this, like, all right, we're just going to get this out of our system. Man, it ends up being in this moment, they give up what they would regret for a lifetime. And some of us have had that. You know exactly what that is. Like, yeah, there's grace for that and forgiveness. But, man, it is a bummer when you have to work out those consequences. And when she saw the apple, it said, look, pleasing the eye and good to eat. The things that are like that, they look good. They feel good. If they didn't, they wouldn't be tempting to us. Those things that, that catch our attention, those other lives we imagine with other people in other places, we wouldn't be thinking about it if it didn't seem good, it didn't seem pleasing. And, and the problem is in this, these instances, it's really not with the environment, it's not with the serpent or the apple or the tree or, or God's command. Those are, just, those are things in our life, those are going to be there, but it comes from within, right? It's the heart. There was something in the heart of, of Adam and Eve in this story. It's like, man, there's something just a little bit broken there. And so the problem is not all around, but it is, it is within. That's a challenge for, for many of us to think about. It's easy to say, oh, man, that, well, that was there, and that person did this, and this happened in my life, and so that's why I did A, B, and C. But we have to own the heart problem. As been said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So when there's stuff breaking down in your life with people or, or job, relationship, finances, like there's something going on in here that just needs some recovery in how we see the world and how we relate with God. Stephen Covey is an author, motivational speaker, uh, seven habits of a highly, highly effective person. Some of you guys are familiar with him or read him, but he says this, we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. And when you're carrying around some kind of brokenness, and this happens when, you're, when you slip into you know, mental illness or depression, you don't see the world as it is, but as you are. You carry some kind of brokenness into the world. And what we, what we, are, we are hoping for as we, as we process this stuff together is, is, is protection of our hearts and, and healing of our hearts through people and through a relationship with God. Proverbs 4 says this, and this is the, the author's writing to his son or, or, or sons and young men. Give him all this great information. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. Protect your heart. Everything flows out of it. And you cannot pretend that when you're feeling the inside, I'm just going to fake it out here, and it comes out. And our heart life affects all life. Your love life affects all life. Your heart life affects all life. Those desires, those emotions, those ways you, you care about people or don't care about people, it will affect the rest of your life. And so, so Eve grabs this, this, this fruit she wasn't supposed to take, and she gives some to her husband who says uh, he was with her. And I just got to say, like, to Adam, and this is maybe to men, like, Adam was right there, and he watched his wife just go give in to this. I mean, as, as, as men, we have to man up for our families. When you see something kind of sliding, you have to take a, take a stand. Like, what happened here to this guy? Come on, Adam. That's part of why we do, not you, Adam. That's why we do communities. We need people to help us when we're, when we're like, oh, man, that's looking pretty good. It's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And he's right there. 
There's this, this conversation happens with, with the serpent in this story, and Eve's like has this dialogue, and he's not saying anything. What's he doing? And she takes it, and he's like, I'll, I guess I'll do some of that. And that doesn't help. And it kind of goes both ways with our spouses, and that's some of our, our, our relational stuff we'll dig into. We have to encourage one another toward good. And that's not always easy. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times at, at night my wife's like, oh, will you pray for us? I'm like, I don't feel like it. Honest confession. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. But I don't feel like it always. And really what I should be doing is saying, let me, let me pray for us. But sometimes I have, I'm just not that good of a person. <laughs> and so she challenges me, will you pray for us? I'm like, okay, I'll, I will pray for us. Because what am I going to do, not? And so it goes both ways. You know, wives, if your husband's not being the man you want him to do, like, call it out. What are you looking for? Don't go to bed and just, you know, wish he was somebody else. That's not helpful. Have a conversation about that. And men, you know, invite your wives into your life. Like, hey, call me out on my stuff. I might not like it. I might get mad. I might be embarrassed. But, man, I need to hear it. I need to call people out. Adam and Eve, Adam's like, Adam was right there with her watching this thing go down. So they take this, this fruit. The story goes, and says so their eyes were open, and they realized they were, they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they were living in this perfect harmony with God and, and the universe and earth, and it was just what the Hebrews would un, uh, Jewish people would understand in the Hebrew as shalom. It was just perfect peace. Everything is at peace. Uh, every bit of creation is at peace with the next, and there's no shame, there's no brokenness. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And man, this is one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture. I was afraid, so I hid. I was ashamed, so I hid. And, and, and when shame keeps us away from our, our creator, when shame keeps us away from the people who, who love us, it is just a spiral of, of havoc and, and destruction. And this begins a sort of separation. I was afraid, so I hid. Up to that point, not afraid. And then there's this period of, a, a large period of the Bible where there is a little bit of that. And then in our, our, our context, there's this the person of Jesus, hey, listen, Jesus is here, so you don't have to have that shame. I don't want anyone hiding from God. I'm going to cover that. You need to be in relationship with this guy. It's going to be good for you. But, man, when there is, there is shame and we hide, it just creates a whole other downward spiral in our lives. And this reluctance to approach God, and sometimes this is a reluctance for many of us to approach honest community. Like, I just don't want to get involved because I don't want them finding out about me. So I'm just going to kind of hide. And it's not helpful. It hurts. And it can be hard to, to take that deep breath and move forward and just deal with it. But life will be so much better on the other side. And sometimes it's easier just not to show up. Like, oh, God's going to be there. I'd prefer not to. Like, how do I avoid that guy? I remember I had a friend years ago. It's funny. It sticks with me. We were talking about prayer. And I was just like, yeah, it's pretty accessible. It's just conversation with God. And he's like, yeah, I try not to talk to that guy. And then I figure he won't pay attention to what I'm doing. I kind of feel like if I don't have a relationship with, with him, maybe he won't notice me. How do I avoid him? How do I avoid that? And we all have stuff in our lives that we, we like to avoid. Sometimes that's like a party, right? So like we throw a pool party with all these people. Some of you are like, oh, my God, how do I avoid that? 
That sounds awful. Some people love that. But there's things, how do I avoid certain people? How do I avoid meetings? There's things that just sort of, you know, on the inside, like, oh, gosh, that's not going to be fun for me. There's some sort of shame about that. Anyone ever get sucked into a karaoke night they didn't want to? I love the idea of karaoke, but it terrifies me because I can't sing. And so I hate when it comes up. I'm like, oh, boy, how do I avoid karaoke? How do I come up with a way to sort of divert our plans or, or do something else? And it happens. Man, if I could sing, I would love karaoke. I would not be here. I would be a karaoke singer professionally, for sure. But when it comes up now, like, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to be part of that, even though it looks fun. Anyone ever feel like, man, it looks fun, but I can't do that? It looks really fun in there for all those people, but oh, that's not for me. And you stay on the outside. That, that, ha- that happens from a young age all the way through adulthood. We carry that stuff. But man, when, when karaoke shows up on an agenda, I've, I've been at conferences where karaoke is on the agenda, like everyone is going and has to pick a song to sing about themselves. Terrifying. Terrifying. And I love to sing, actually. I sing all the time at home. You know why I do that at home? Because there's no shame. There's no embarrassment at home. I'm safe and I'm wholly loved at home. That's the relationship. That's the environments that God wants for us. Be yourself. You be you. There is no shame. There is no judgment. That's what the gospel of Jesus is about. It doesn't matter about whatever junk you're bringing in. You're fine. You're forgiven for the sins you're doing now and the stuff you're going to do in the future. God's like, whatever I have to do so you don't hide from me again, humanity. I don't want you hiding. I want to be with you. Let's take away the shame. So God said, he who, told you, who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Man said, the, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So man, you know, he, he doesn't speak up earlier on, but all of a sudden he's the first one to speak up. She did it. It's my wife's fault. How easy is that? Cast the blame. She did it. You know what else he does? The, the woman you put here did it. And so he's actually blaming God. So he casts blame on the person next to us and his creator. And man, we've all been there. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, it's that person, and then God did this to me, and my life is this way. Man, he didn't have to eat it. No one forced it down his throat. You did this, God. You put her in my life. Man, I've been with people, and some of us, if we're honest, have wrestled this way with our, even our, our marriage relationships. Like, God, why did you do this to me? You been there, Sarah? (laughs) Why did you do this to me? (laughs) The woman you put me here, she gave it to me. And the Lord said, the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so there's this brokenness now that begins because there's this honesty and there is uh, uh, this, this, there was peace and there was shalom and, and there was perfect harmony between God and, one, and the people, one another, and creation. It was like being in rhythm, right? When, you, when you're in, in music and things sound good, it's, it's just beautiful and perfect. But when somebody's off, it throws the whole thing off. And so this shalom is, is beginning to, to break down. This peace is beginning to break down. And you see this early on this, this, in this story, this man and this woman, they're, they're casting blame around. 
And when no one owns the issues, no one owns, in this, we'll say sin, no one owns the, the sin or the brokenness or the lack of peace, the lack of shalom, it creates relational havoc. Lack of ownership creates relational havoc. When you are just about what the other person is or is not or doing or isn't doing, and you're not owning it here, just relational havoc. It just gets crazy. It's like kids, right, fighting about who did it and whose fault is it. And we do the same thing as adults with the people around us, but, but in our, our marriage relationships, man, it's just about them. And we'll be learning. We're, we're looking through these, these, these books together, these marriage books, and one of the great kind of quotes out of it is that 50% of every, of every relationship is 100% you. 50% of, of every relationship is 100% you. Yeah, you bring yourself to the table. You bring all yourself. Whose fault is it? His fault. You did it. God did it. The devil did it. And this, this, this lack of ownership, it just begins to, to unwind the shalom and the peace in the world. And one of the questions that sort of comes up with this, like, well, why, in this story, you know, why was there a tree at all? Like, if it's there, of course they're going to do it. You know, some of us have those kind of issues in our life. Like, how am I going to avoid it? It's here. But I, but I believe one of the, the reasons that, that from the very beginning, even in a world of perfect peace and harmony and shalom in this, in this paradise, in this garden, why is there something like that there? Because the... The people under God, the children of God, can understand that obedience brings joy. Obedience to God brings joy. And if that wasn't there, that thing you're not supposed to do wasn't there, they don't experience that. And that's hard for some of us to understand, like, oh, man, I don't like obedience. Man, obedience to God brings joy. When you dig in and you start to get past some of these issues in your life, you start start to take a stand, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm called to love one another, called to love God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start exercising that, it can bring joy. It's not all like sorrow and doom and gloom, like, oh, well, how boring my life's going to be. No, it, it yields joy. Obedience to God yields joy. I'm going to have uh, Noah and Josh come up. We'll wrap up in a minute, and we'll continue on with some of this in coming weeks. But we'll see sort of the, the, the unwinding again of, of the world uh, after this brokenness, and it's a great story in John 2 we'll look at, I think, next week. So uh, let me pray for you, and we'll, we'll close out with a song. God, thanks for uh, this morning. Thank you for the people in this room, Lord. I, every one of us has some story of brokenness, God, and there's some story of where there maybe was shalom and there is no longer. Um, thank you that there is grace for that, Lord, and there is healing, and there is recovery. And Lord, I just pray for anyone especially right now who feels like, man, they're just hiding from you, hiding from God, and hiding from others because of shame. pray that you would just cast out this morning, Lord. Bring healing there. Bring healing to that. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. That website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.